It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. Doran Cart, senior curator at the National World War One Museum and Memorial, uh, joins me. Doran, sorry about the slip of the lip there, but uh, they're both great locations, and you know we've talked about them uh, many times before. First of all, it is—I was in Kansas City, I believe it was about four weeks ago, or passing through for a day. I really wish I would have had time to come there and see it. Uh, just a phenomenal facility. Well, thank you for having me on, David. Uh, I've appreciated talking to you in the past. So let's talk about this new exhibit, Captured. What is it? Well, it's really the first major exhibition that we've done here at the Museum and Memorial on the aspects of prisoners of war uh, during World War I, uh, a subject that is often not even discussed in books uh, our articles about the war, and we started looking at it about two, a little over two years ago, about doing a special exhibition and looking at what our collection uh, would support on a full-scale uh, special exhibition, and uh, found we had a lot of materials related to all the nations that uh, held prisoners of war and the prisoners themselves. So uh, it really kind of lent itself to really creating uh, a, a really important exhibition, we believe. Yeah, that point about how many people were in prison and so many different forms in obviously multiple areas, whether Southeast Asia, Siberia, the Western Front, uh, their experiences, what do they tell us? What, what do they show us? Are there commonalities regardless of uh, prison? Are there differences depending on who had the prisoners? Well, there certainly were. It depended on um, the real uh, financial stability and economic uh, the stability of the nations which were holding prisoners of war, uh, either on the Allied or the Central Powers sides. Uh, but we really find out a lot from the prisoners themselves and their reflections on what occurred. But the main, really overpowering um, uh, statement that really comes through in, in all of their reflections uh, and we used a lot of diaries and a lot of uh, letters and personal accounts in the exhibition, was that they were trained, uh, the soldiers and sailors and others were trained uh, to be in a war, to fight, uh, and to perhaps even uh, were prepared to die during the war, but none of them were really trained or prepared to be held as prisoners of war. And there was a disparity uh, again, depending on the condition of the nations they were being held uh, in, and also even uh, on the rank uh, of the prisoners themselves. A lot of cases, officers um, that were held were treated differently, were given more of a special treatment, or not always, but more of a special treatment uh, than enlisted personnel. And... Um, uh, one area that prisoners were 
uh, that we found very hard to find any information on were in um, the colonial areas, especially in Africa. And the uh, indigenous peoples that were held prisoner there were probably uh, among the worst conditions uh, that we found of prisoners during the war. You know, one thing that, uh, and to your last comment, we don't often think about colonial areas. Uh, we don't think about other areas like, say, Indonesia, other areas of the world, where in one form or another prisoners were held. But in Europe for a moment, and because I have this book, I'll ask the question. Sure. I have a 1946 print. I collect books, and I have a 1946 print uh, translated into English of a book, Dachau, Ser uh, Dachau Sermons. And this was uh, the religious services at the Dachau concentration camp. And the sermons are listed here, the dates, uh, Easter Sunday, Christmas, 1945, New Year's Eve, 1944. And I got to tell you, it's, it's I don't know, it, it, I guess interesting is probably not even a good enough word. But to read that these things were happening even in a concentration camp. So there's so much more depth to the stories of prisoners and what went on there. And even in the middle of evil, in this case, uh, there were moments that were, I don't know, I don't know what to call them. There were just moments. Well, and um, of course, it was a different uh, type of war at that time. It was really... Uh, prisoners of war were held because of their military activities, but there were civilians uh, who happened to be, as we say in the exhibit, in the wrong place in the wrong time uh, that were held as internees. And in some cases, and that was simply because they might have been um, people from uh, warring nations that happened to end up uh, in a neutral or uh, another warring nation during the war, uh, say like uh, there were several uh, German citizens uh, 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 who were um, civilians in Britain when the war started in August of 1914 and were put in internee in camps, uh, probably one of the most famous post-war um, uh, civilians who was held was a fellow named Pilates, who uh, actually created then the modern uh, exercise program, which he did for other internees in these camps. So even in those situations, uh, there were, and I would say slivers, if not full uh, slivers of uh, humanity, um, in the camps, and you know, there were um, uh, not necessarily celebrations, but observances uh, of uh, civilian holidays and things like that. So um, that was a real different uh, aspect of the this uh, subject that we looked at, because they were not really internees were not really given the benefits of uh, wartime agreements. Although we always think that's really interesting that there were, you know, kind of these gentleman agreements of how people were be, to be treated as prisoners of war. Uh, but there were none. There were no real rules on how civilians were to be held. So uh, one thing we found out about this, there was no real standard that went along throughout um, 
the over 9 million people who were held uh, during the war. No, I understand. I understand. Yep. So, you know, for everyone, by the way, and this is something that I that I want you to weigh in on as well, Doran, you know, the importance of having the National World War One Museum in Kansas City. You, you know, it, it's a question that came up, I think, when we spoke or in one of the earlier conversations. Uh, but remind us the importance of Kansas City. Uh, you know, it's not the place that I think many would think of first, but why in Kansas City? Well, it really came about uh, two weeks after the armistice, which was on November 11th, 1918, which ended the fighting on the Western Front. It did not end the war. That wasn't until the peace treaty was signed in June of 1919. But two weeks after the armistice, a group of Kansas Cityans gathered uh, and said they wanted to create a lasting memorial to those men and women who served in the war and to those who died. And they were very specific about not saying that it was just for Americans. It was for those who served and died so they would be remembered uh, for years past. And they really did this so early, and they raised $2.5 million in less than two weeks early in 1919 to create the memorial. And uh, they just really did it on such a grand scale, and other factors came along. Uh, The Great Depression started in 1929, and there weren't any real memorials being built after that. And then World War II came along. And so uh, by really, by default, uh, it became the center for remembrance of World War I in the United States. And, um, you know, we really think, well, there are memorials, national uh, memorials all over the United States, and so uh, it's people always in Kansas City always say, well, we're not good enough for a national museum and a memorial, huh? but we have proven that indeed Kansas City is the perfect location for it. Well, it's a great facility. We really enjoyed the trip out there. Uh, you have online, of course, for everyone at theworldwar.org. Uh, that's the website. And captured the new exhibit at the National World War One Museum and Memorial. Uh, really breathtaking. Uh, and uh, also an opportunity for those of you that go to Kansas City to get a little barbecue if you want to try that well, while you're that's there. that's true. <laughs> and our visitor services... Uh, you can check in with folks there, and they'll even tell you. <laughs> you know, one thing, if you ask a question about Kansas City barbecue, you're going to get five different directions. Oh, yeah. I'm a good, yeah. Everybody's I'm good for got trying their own opinion, five. that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you take advantage of it if you're there. Yep. Uh, Doran, great, uh, great to speak oh. to you again. A very Merry Christmas. Oh, and you too, David. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank Bye you, now. Doran Cart, senior curator at the National World War One Museum and Memorial. It's a it's a really cool place. You know, it, it's just the I call it the benefit of what I do and what the team and I do is occasionally you get to go out and visit these these locations and learn you learn some things. I mean, Pilates, little tidbits of information. You start to see uh, get a different perspective. You, know, you learn a little bit more. You can join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon East on Sirius XM Patriot 125.